Okay, so we're starting a new series this week. It is called The Game of Life. And uh, some of you guys probably, I don't know if you got to be over 40 or what to remember. Who remembers that old game, The Game of Life? You've seen it? It's got all the colors, and it's got the car, and you get in, and you're going along, and you start your career, and you get your family, and you're blah, 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 and you're going around, you spin that big colorful wheel, and, and you go and go, and it, we, uh, I loved that kid, uh, or that game as a kid, it's just uh, so much fun. And what we want to talk about these next few weeks, though, is what about our game of life? Who, who determines who's the winner and who's the loser? Who determines what the rules are? How do we know if we're actually on the right track or not? I, I was thinking this week, what's so ironic about the game of life, the real game of life, is that sometimes you, you get a glimpse of somebody who has really won at the game of life and you know where you glimpse it? You glimpse it at their memorial. You, you go to somebody's memorial, you get a sense really quickly at what their life was like, what, how they played. Whether they were, you know, ahead or behind or winning or losing. Like, you get a sense when you go to memorial service what that was all about. This week we got that opportunity. Uh, man, you guys, my heart broke uh, in these last couple weeks. A woman, Loretta Borland. I know a bunch of you guys know Loretta. This is a picture of her. She, is she not the cute? I mean, she's so cute. Loretta was in her 80s and she died uh, just this last couple weeks. And we had her memorial service here. And it was just an amazing celebration of someone who had played the game of life the way it's supposed to be played. And Bill, uh, I, I am better than Bill at this barbecue thing. Bill is just amazing at doing weddings and funerals. I mean, there's just nobody like Bill with this. And he did this phenomenal job of just helping us celebrate Loretta's life. And one of the things I laughed about the most was when he talked about what Loretta would do with people, because she did this with me too. Loretta would come up to me and she, you know, she's in her 80s, and she'd look at her, and she'd grab my cheeks. And she's from Oklahoma, so nobody's name is one syllable. She'd say, Jim. She'd go, I just love you. I just love this place. I just love this church. That was the best sermon I have ever heard, Jim. You know? And then the next week, she would say, that's the best sermon I have ever heard, Jim. And then she would grab Bill's cheeks the next week. That's the best sermon I have ever heard, Bill. You know? And she was just absolutely delighted. And I finally figured out, you know what it reminded me of? Um, if you, if, for those of you who have a dog, if, if you've got a dog and you brought it into this room right now, there's something weird, my kids can tell you this, that kind of clicks in me. When I see a dog, I like, I just grab it. Oh, you're so cute. Oh, I just love you. You're just an awesome little doggy. And I just rub its ears and I just can't help myself. And that's what Loretta did with me. She treated me. <laughs> Loretta treated me like I was like a golden retriever or something, you know. And you actually start to believe that maybe I'm worth something. Like maybe I'm succeeding at the game of life because Loretta believes in me. She's like that kind of person. Bill made the comment that Loretta's probably in heaven right now grabbing Jesus' cheeks going, I just like you, Jesus. I just love this place, you know. She's she was just that kind of person that you go, wow, what is it about you? What is it about you that you're not going through life disappointed. You're not going through life bored. You're not going through life um, stewing or bitter. This woman went through life with just this joy and love and grace to other people. Man, I tell you, I, I'm sure she has lots of flaws. I just looked at that memorial and, and just knowing her, I went, man, I, that's the kind of game of life I want to play. 
What does she do? How did she get there? Guys, I'm praying that end of this series, these next few weeks, you feel more joy and purpose and energy and love and grace and peace and everything else in your life that you, you, I pray, will walk through this game of life a little differently. And I, I just, we want to start by saying, how does someone like Loretta play this game of life? And something tells me that Jesus was a big part of that. So I think Jesus has a lot to say about how you play the game of life. I actually want to start by showing you a couple things that Jesus said. This is just from one of Jesus' followers named John. He wrote down things Jesus said and did, and Jesus had a lot to say about life. Man, wait till you see some of these things Jesus had to say about life. This is just, just from John, one guy, reporting what, some of what Jesus said. Look at this first one. Uh, it said this, Jesus was talking to somebody and said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm the bread of life. I'm the foundation of life. Bread is, you can't exist without it. It's this foundational element. Jesus is saying there is no life outside of me. It's so funny sometimes I think when um, people say, well, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher and he's a good guy and he did a lot of nice things and uh, man, seemed great. But there's no way that he was God himself on earth. He's crazy then. Look at that comment. Can you imagine someone saying these words? Can you imagine if Bill or I got up and said these words, I'm the bread of life? Can you imagine if your neighbor said that? You're, I mean, you'd write him off. But this, Jesus has the audacity to say that life actually doesn't exist in work right outside of me. In fact, he's saying if you want to play the game of life, you better talk to the one who's the rule maker, who put it together, who authored the game. Look what else he says. Another one from John. I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, we're all going to rise someday. And you're just following in my footsteps when you do that. I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying again. Can you believe anyone would say that? Here's the next line. When Jesus is praying, Jesus is uh, recorded as uh, John wrote down his prayer. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, he's talking to God, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. See, what Jesus is saying is if you want eternal life, you've got to know him. You've got to know the person who put it together, who authored it from the very beginning. And eternal life doesn't start when you die. Jesus is saying eternal life actually starts now. Eternity is in session right now. And the way that you get to play that game is by knowing me. And then this last one is uh, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. By the way, be here next week. We're going to dive into what that means. And we're going we're gonna to look a little bit more about how life can get stolen from us. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So Jesus is making some pretty big claims about he's actually the gatekeeper on this game of life. And, but then I just, I look at Loretta and I go, I don't know that my life is like that. Think of it this way. Uh, I think about my life and sometimes I think, my life, if this, if this life, this circle is kind of my life, I think, what part of this is Jesus actually running versus what part of this life am I running? And often I think, you know, I think the amount Jesus has control of might look a little like this. 
this is kind of the, the part of my life that I've handed over to him. And, and really the truth is, the vast majority of my life is still under my control. But then you think about somebody like Loretta, and, you know, there's just something about her. Loretta, um, Loretta's life looks like this. Loretta's, Loretta's life has this, like, wait a second. She's, she somehow went all in in the game. She somehow pushed her chips in in a way that I don't know that I have. And I don't know that many people have. And yeah, are there gaps all over the world? Of course there is. No one's ever all in completely. Right? We're, we're trying. But there was something about her that you go, man, how could my life look like that? How could my memorial someday look like that? She was all in. I started thinking about that this week, and I started thinking, gosh, where, where are there more clues? Where are there more clues that tell us how to play this game of life? And I started, I started thinking, oh, my gosh, there's a phrase in the New Testament in the Bible that gets repeated over and over and over again that goes directly to what it means to have your life and what our life should look like. And I've, I've never actually studied it the way that maybe I should have. I've never taught a message on it or anything. I just started thinking, I have to know what this means because there's a direct correlation that the authors of the New Testament are tying between what real life is and this phrase. In fact, as I was starting to read about this phrase, um, they said this this phrase is 170 times you see these two little words I'm going to introduce to you in a second here. 170 times. Contrast that with, do you know how many times uh, the name Christian is mentioned in the Bible? Three. You see, you see the word Christian three times. You see this little phrase that I'm going to give you, 170. In fact, one person said it's like a bell that's just tolling over and over again, chiming. Some of you guys have been to Europe. Maybe you've walked through some of those cool old towns and squares. And you hear the chime of the clock or you see the old cathedral and it's just jing, boom. And that is this phrase in the New Testament over and over again saying this is what all in, this is what life, this is what the game of life ought to look like. Let me show it to you. I'm going to show it to you in the original language. You can take a look at what this is. This is what it looks like when, you, when, it, when it was written down. Anybody know what that is? Let me show you in English what this word is. It's in Christ. Life. Real life is found in Christ. Think, think, about, think about this for a second. Think about how many times you use a phrase like this. We, we use the word in to refer to ourselves a lot. I'm in trouble. I'm in love. I'm in school. I'm in Australia. I'm whatever. I'm in a fight with Bill. Right? We use that phrase in to describe ourselves, to describe something that's true about us. And the New Testament keeps just drawing us back saying, if you want to understand what life is, the game of life is found, the rules are found in Christ. So I started looking at it this week and I'm going, oh, okay, so you got to know my roots. My roots are, uh, I was a middle school pastor for years. And I love, here's what you find out when you work with middle schoolers and you're given a little message like this, you make one point. You know, make one point, make it good, and hope they don't throw stuff at you. Those are the, 
Those are the you know, things you got to remember. And so I started looking at this going, there's got to be just one key way for us to understand. What, is, what does in Christ mean? And the more I looked into it, the more I got disappointed because it's really hard to boil it down to one thing. But what I want to do is I want to show you a couple themes to help you understand what this means because I, I think it can drive us down that game of life. It can take you down that next step. Look at, look at some of the things. Right, 170, I'm not going to show you. I'm not going to show you those, don't worry. I'm going to show you a couple of what it means to live your life in Christ. So look at this first one. This is from a book called Galatians. When you see stuff like this, if you're new to the Bible, Galatians, don't get intimidated by that. That's a letter that was written to a, a little region that was called Galatia. Okay? It's not some fancy thing. It's just a letter written to the people in Galatia. That's why we call it Galatians. So here, here is part of what was written to these people in Galatia. It said, for you are all children of God through faith in what? In Christ. You're children of God. Some of us guys, maybe, maybe, um, maybe you grew up in a home where what you were taught was that you're actually like a, a God's behavior modification project. Maybe you're taught that in your church or maybe you were taught that wherever, a pastor or whatever, a friend. You got the idea that really what religion is, is trying to meet some kind of behavioral standard. In Christ, and this is what Loretta got, in Christ means I'm actually, I don't identify myself as God's behavior project. I actually identify myself as a child of God. When you woke up this morning in Christ, you are a son or a daughter of God. Do, you, do, you, do we get that? It's a, it's a word of identity. In Christ means we identify ourselves as children of God. It's huge. Look at what Ephesians says. Ephesians is just a book written to a town called Ephesus. But now, in Christ, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So here's the thing about me. I've got all this like territory that God can still take over. And I can feel guilty about that, and I can feel shame about that. But in Christ, I actually realize even this, like, part that I'm still hanging on to, I have been forgiven for. God forgives. Man, we need to stop looking at this and feeling shame and guilt and start looking at this and going, oh, my gosh, if I started, like, actually handing parts of my life over to God, think of what my life is going to look like. There's an upside because we've been forgiven in Christ. Look at this next one, Ephesians 1 says this. Even before, this is beautiful, even before he made the world. Imagine God before he made the world. What in the world was he doing? I don't know what he was doing. But apparently, he's going to tell us God loved us before he made the world. He actually had you in mind and chose you before he made the world. How? In Christ. And he did that to be holy. That's just a word that means set aside. You were set apart in Christ before he even made anything. And without fault in his eyes. It's a relational word. In Christ, we have a relationship with God. And then this last one is from 2 Corinthians. This is um, just a great passage. Therefore, if anyone is what in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. And the new has come. 
I read uh, something this week that I thought was interesting. It was a psychologist saying, you know how a relationship is doomed? There's one key thing that can tell you if a relationship that you have is doomed, and that is if you have given up hope that the other person can change, it's moved into the toxic zone. And I started thinking to myself, a lot of us have that kind of relationship with ourselves. A lot of us believe that, you know what, I'll never, I'll never get past this little sliver here. I'll never be able to allow God to take over more of my life. That's not what this says. It says in Christ, transformation is possible. That in Christ, actually our lives can be changed. Why? Not because we have some like great corner on the market and willpower. Not a chance. It's because we have the power of Christ, in Christ, working on us to change who we are becoming. In Christ, booming its way through the New Testament, just going, live your life, the game of life. You want to play this? You want to play it well? I want to play like Loretta. This is how you live your life, in Christ, in Christ. I decided this week I'd try it, just do a little experiment, and just go, okay, what does this mean practically? This sounds nice, preacher guy. What does this actually mean in my life? And so I just pray, God, could you show me some, some way this week where a little more territory I could just hand to you. So I, uh, my roof got ruined last summer in the uh, hailstorm. Just got around to making a claim. And my insurance company sent me a big check, $8,000. I was like, ooh, man, I should go buy a car. Or, you know, I'm thinking, what could I do with this? Unfortunately, what they do is to make sure that people don't do that now, they write the check to you and they also write the check to your uh, mortgage lender, your bank. Because if the bank knows that you're doing it, you're not going to run off and buy a car with it. So, so I'm like, okay. So I go down to my bank and I have to get them to sign this check uh, to get this whole roof thing started. I walk in, I go to the teller, and the teller's just grouchy. Hey, what are you here for? You know, I'm like, oh, well, I'm just here. I got this check. You guys got to sign it. Well, how much is it? Well, you, you can read it. And uh, he's like, oh, this is too much. I, I can't sign this. You're going to, you know, have, have to see a banker. And I'm like, I'm going, first of all, like, aren't you supposed to be nice? Like, usually tellers are nice. Like, Chick-fil-A nice is what I expect when I walk into a bank, you know. And not at all. And the second thing I'm going, what do you mean I have to talk to a banker? Aren't you a banker? What are you? And no, the bankers are over there, so go sit down. So I'm, I'm already like, I don't want to be there anyway. So I go and I sit down, and um, here's the deal about me. If you, if you know of a, there's a personality test called the Enneagram. Some of you guys know this. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 3, which means I hate to waste time. I just, it drives me crazy. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, let's go. And I'm looking at the four little banks, and I'm guessing on which banker is going to be able to take me first. And they're all sitting there at their chairs, nobody in their offices, and they're like, Typing, this one lady stops and she grabs something to drink and she's laughing, you know, and back she goes. And I'm sitting there going, what are you doing? Five minutes go by, ten minutes go by. After ten minutes, I decided, seriously, I got up and I'm like, I'm going to just do some stretching exercises. And so I'm in the lobby and I'm going like this, like, you know. I'm trying to get their attention. Like, come on, I'm sitting here waiting for you guys. What are you doing? Fifteen minutes go by and I'm finally like, forget it. I walk up, I go back to my little grouchy teller guy, and I'm like, I got to take off. He goes, great. And so I, I walk out, and I'm like stewing. 
I'm walking through the parking lot of my car and I'm so mad. Come on, how many of, you, how many of us stew? How many of us woke up this morning and you were already stewing about something? You got some kind of relationship, you got some kind of situation, you got some kind of way that you were wronged, and you're stewing. And I was too, and I went and I sat in my car, and I'm like, I'm going to change banks, and I'm going to write a letter, you know. It, it was so funny, I sat, in the, I sat in the front seat of my car, and I went, I don't think Loretta would be stewing about this. It just occurred to me, I guarantee you Loretta's not actually stewing over this teller. She's too busy doing this. In fact, I'll, I'll bet you Loretta would have walked in and be like, I love this bank. You give it to the best bank. And they would have probably sent her right back to the banker, like, first thing. I'm going, and, and I actually had this moment where I sat in my little seat in my car, and I said, God, what if I actually changed my attitude? What if, what if would you take control of this little piece of my heart. Would you change my attitude somehow about this? This doesn't always happen, guys, but I actually had this like sense of peace come over me. Like, yeah, what am I doing? Move on. Get over it. There's amazing things in life to be grateful and thankful for. And so I, I, I just had this moment where I said, in Christ, I'm going to transform my attitude and move on. And then for, for once it actually worked. Now, listen. If you've been to this church before, you know I rarely tell a story where I did something good. So I'm going to need you to clap right now to, for that because that was awesome. So doesn't happen often. Probably next year I'll tell another story like that. You know what happened in that moment? Just a little bit, you guys. I felt like Jesus kind of grabbed a, a hold of my life a little bit more. Another little piece that got handed over to him. What's so interesting about this, think for a second about what's one little piece you could hand over to him. Often we think about like, what's the major thing that I gotta, no, what if, what if it's just that? What if it's just the small thing that you're gonna hand over? Because what you'll find is, and what I found this week is, oh, I trusted him with something. And he answered. What happens now if I trust him with something else? So yesterday I was in Omaha for a meeting. My mom texted me and said, get out of there as fast as you can because we don't, we don't need you in big red country you know, anymore. So get out of there. So I was trying to get home because on uh, Saturday night, I, uh, my family and I, we bought Avengers tickets a month ago for this Saturday night, 7 o'clock. I made sure that my flight was going to be, you know, three and a half hours early so that we'd get there. We'd watched all the movies. We were like ready to go. I was so psyched. Get to the airport. Uh, the text from Southwest, your flight is delayed. Okay, it's only delayed an hour. It's going to be okay. But I'm starting to feel it. About half an hour later, your flight is delayed another hour. Just keep pushing back. I can start to feel the panic, you guys. I'm talking about in-game Avengers here. We've been looking forward to this. It keeps getting pushed back. Finally, I get this text. It's not, you're not going to land now till 8.15. Movie starts at 7. And so after this month of like being so excited about this, I'm like, oh. and I can just feel in me. And there's just a little piece of me. Remember what he did at the bank? What if you just, 
What if you just turned your attitude over to him here? Stop stewing. What if you take that stewing and you turn that little piece over to Jesus, the author of the game of life, and let him keep taking little pieces one part at a time? Uh, I don't love doing this, but I'm going to do it this time. Uh, I'm going to, let me switch metaphors. If the circle metaphor doesn't work for you, I had a guy that was, I never actually met, but he was at the church that I was at in California for a while before I got there. And he wrote a little pamphlet that uh, actually picked up steam and people still know today. I, I wonder if you have to be over, you know, 45 or something and been around the church a long time to know about it. But this little thing was called My Heart, Christ's Home. And maybe some of you guys have seen this before. The idea is, okay, forget the circle for a second. Imagine that um, this is, you know, your house here. But, but this, this represents your heart, your life. Your life is this kind of home here. And he, and he went off this passage in the last book of the Bible. It's called Revelation. Where Jesus says, hey, I'm standing at the door and knocking and whoever would open up that door and let me in, I will come in and eat with them and they'll eat with me. It's a beautiful little passage. And so he makes kind of the analogy of like, what happens when you open that door? What happens when you start to say, I'm going to let you have a little more room in that circle? And so uh, Jesus comes in, in this little book, and starts talking with the, with the writer. And, and they're talking about their life and they're having fun and they're, he's, he's getting to know Jesus and Jesus then says, um, hey, would you mind showing me around the house? And in the, in the book, each room of the house kind of represents a part of your life. So Jesus says, I want to take me into your study. And the study kind of represents your mind. And Jesus walks into this guy's study and he says, this is great. There's some great stuff in here. And there's some stuff that we need to change. There's some stuff in here that's actually harming you. There's, there's some stuff in here when you think about um, the stuff we watch or the stuff that we listen to, the time we spend on social media. Is it actually helping our heart? And so Jesus walks into the study and says, would you let me help change this? And the guy, a little, there's nerves, right? It's like, ah, can I do that? The guy says, okay, and Jesus starts to shift this person's heart. And once he's done in the study, he says, can I see your family room? Can I see your relationships? Can I see the, the dysfunction in your family? Will you let, if you've trusted me with your mind, would you let me into your relationships? And then he goes into the kitchen. Would you trust me with your health? And then he goes into the bedroom. Would you trust me with your marriage, with your sex life, with the person that you're dating? Would you trust me? And, and you can see this starts to get real personal now. And it started here, and now Jesus is starting to go room by room as we trust him more and more. The, the, the great part of the story is toward the end. Jesus has gone through the house, and Jesus finally looks and goes, what's in that closet? And the guy goes, you cannot come in here. 
Like you can go in any other room in the house, but you cannot come in. You will, you will not believe what is in this room, Jesus. You cannot go through there. And Jesus is like, I think you need to let me in there. I thought it was so funny as I read that. I started thinking, how true is it that so many of us have these little pieces of our lives that we're like, we actually can't, we're, we're ashamed to even admit it to ourselves, so we won't bring this to God and let God look at it. And what's so interesting is it's not like God doesn't already know. It's not like God hasn't seen it before. Right? I, I guarantee you the situation that you're going through right now that maybe you're hiding or holding back or trying to keep into this little zone where we can control it, do you think God hasn't seen that before? I guarantee you that God has seen it before. What he's waiting for is you to say, okay. And so in the story, he's, Jesus says to him, I need to go in there. And the guy says, I, I can't bear it. I can't even, I can't go in there. And Jesus says to him, just give me the keys and I'll go. And Jesus takes the keys and he goes into the closet and just starts that work on that person's heart. I love, I love that. And I think, oh, could you do that with me? Could we start small? Can I ask you something today? I want to ask you to look at your life, the game of life that you're playing. And I want you to look at it and go, is there more territory? Is there another room? What is the next room that I could hand over to the person who made up the game of life and say, I want to make this in Christ? That doesn't mean that we're not going to, you know, the way it works is you end up going here and then you go backwards. It's just how it is. And then you'll go forward again and then you'll go back. That's a, there's a lifetime of struggle ahead of us, but what if, what if you played that game of life today in Christ and moved somehow a little bit more toward this? What's the area? What's the area of your life that you could hand over? What's the room? I wrote a few thoughts down on this. I was just thinking this week about some of the, my own life and my friends and family and just people and what are the things that we struggle with? Maybe for you, that next room is your attitude, like the one I shared, where we hand over our attitude about something to him and say, God, I want to make this, this is yours. Maybe it's worry, the thing that's like keeping you up at night. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's how you're spending your time. Maybe it's how you're spending your money. That one's one of the hardest to hand over. Maybe it's the fight you're in with someone that we need to give that to God. Maybe it's the anger that we have. Can you imagine handing over that anger that we carry to God? Maybe it's your past. Maybe there's something that you did a long time ago that's in that closet that you still feel shame and guilt over. And God is saying there's grace for that. Maybe it's handing over that. Maybe it's your blind spots. You know, maybe you're looking at it going, oh, I actually don't have anything that I can think of. Maybe the prayer to start is, okay, God, will show me what I'm not seeing. Maybe it's control. 
Maybe it's how we want to, we want to grip this part of our lives and not let go. And the ironic thing is that Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The ironic thing about the game of life is it's exactly opposite of what the world tells you how the rules are played. And so we give up our control. Maybe, maybe for you it's um, what we need to give up is that risk that we've been avoiding. And we feel like God's trying to nudge us somewhere, but we're, we're afraid. And so we're going to avoid that risk that he's asking us to take. Maybe that's the next step. Maybe it's the toxic friendship. Maybe it's that friendship where you go, you know what? I don't know that I'll ever be able to move this way as long as that friendship isn't rearranged somehow. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your grandkids. Maybe it's your relationship with your parents. Maybe we need to hand over today our grief or our doubt. Maybe we need to hand over, this is a big decision somebody's making. Maybe we need to say, okay, God, like, help me make this decision. I've never actually prayed that before about this, but I, I need you. I need you before I make this decision. Maybe it's your words. Maybe it's the things that come out of your lips that you're like, did I just say that? Did I just tear that person down? Guys, what room... What part of your heart do you say, okay, God, to play the game of life, I'm going to hand this over to you today. I want to pray. I want to pray, and I'm going to leave space for you to have a little conversation with God about what's that next space. Maybe you're here today and you're like, my circle's empty. I've never trusted God with anything. Maybe the first prayer is, God, I'm not all in. I'm not going to be honest, but... I'm not all in, but I, I might push one chip in and just see. Maybe that's the first prayer. I'm going to pray, and I want to ask you today, take your next step in the game of life today. Lord, we pray for that. We pray for the courage to just maybe make one little move, maybe spin the wheel once. Maybe trust you with one little thing. Or maybe it's to